Welcome to Annunciation with Father David. Father David is the priest at Annunciation Greek Orthodox Church in Decatur, Illinois, where every week people are connected to the ancient wisdom of Orthodox Christianity. Here is Father David. Christ is in our midst. He is Good morning. As we continue our study and meditation of the liturgy, today we're gonna to continue to examine the anaphora because it's an important prayer. And because since we're in Lent, we actually have two different anaphoras to look at. The anaphora of St. John Chrysostom, whose liturgy we do for most of the year, and we also have the anaphora of St. Basil the Great, whose liturgy we do during Lent, as in today, the second Sunday of Lent, in which we celebrate St. Gregory Palamas. And it is also a way for us to understand why it is that we honor Gregory Palamas today during Lent. If we look at the anaphora of St. John Chrysostom, he very beautifully expresses one experience of God that the church has had throughout the ages. For you, O God, are ineffable, inconceivable, invisible, incomprehensible, existing forever, forever the same. This is what we call apophatic language. In other words, there's a school of thought within Orthodox theology that says that we can freely say who God is not, but we can't really freely say who he is. And if you notice this language, all of it is describing what God isn't. He is ineffable. We can't put words around describing who he is. Inconceivable, he's not conceivable invisible, he's not visible, etc. And this experience of God is largely what the Jews had seen and understood for generation after generation after generation. It is why Judaism has no real iconography of God, because he's invisible, unconceivable, unknowable, ineffable. It's all wrapped up in you know the name of God as revealed by God to Moses in the burning bush. In the Hebrew, there are, I think, 16 different ways to translate or understand the name of God. And in Greek, the oon is a, is a complete sentence, yet it is a sentence that invites a predicate, the one who is. And of course, we want to finish that, the one who is what? The one who is love, the one who is merciful the one who is long-suffering, etc. So it suggests just the, by the mere name of God that it is beyond language, that it is beyond our ability to understand. And yet in today's gospel, we have an example of the other experience that the church has had with God, the incarnation of Christ. God incarnate walking among us healing by his word, healing by his actions, teaching, prophesying. Today we see him in a crowded house where everybody is so packed in that when four friends learn that Christ is home 
in Capernaum, they go grab their friend who is a paralytic, put him on a pallet and bring him to the house. And when they see they can't get him in the house, they climb the roof, take off the roof and lower him down so that he can be in the presence of Christ. And Christ says, son, your sins are forgiven. And there are those among the crowd who in their hearts correctly think, what is this man doing? Only God can forgive sins. They're absolutely correct, yet they misunderstand who Christ is. Christ is God. So he has the right and the power and the authority to forgive sins. And to demonstrate this, of course, he heals the paralytic. So we have these two very different experiences of God. And the Orthodox Church has always insisted that both of these experiences are true. Throughout the years, we have seen heresy after heresy after heresy try to minimize one of these two experiences and sometimes even get rid of it entirely. And so generation after generation after generation of Christians have had to defend the teaching of the church that both of these experiences are true in their fullness. And there have been many attempts at communicating this idea to the people. Uh, for example, Athanasius the Great uh, differentiated these two experiences by calling the ineffability of God uh, his being and the experience of God incarnate through the Holy Spirit, etc., the activities of God. So you have the being and activities. In the uh, Nicene Creed or symbol of faith, we see them described as the usia and the hypostases. We see in Gregory Palamas, who we celebrate today, the essence and the energies, the substance and the persons all kinds of different ways to try to communicate these two experiences of God. Now, one must note that usia and hypostases, prior to their technical use by the church, were synonyms. They meant the same thing. Slightly different connotations, but you could use them interchangeably. But we have used them now technically to describe these two experiences. Now, if we look at the anaphora of Basil the Great, we see this idea described here in his own language. He says of the Father, Master of all things, Lord of heaven and earth, and of every creature, visible and visible, you are seated upon the throne of glory, and behold the depths. You are without beginning, invisible, incomprehensible, beyond words, unchangeable. Sound familiar? John Chrysostom used similar language. You are the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So this is his description of the activities of the Father. Jesus Christ, who is the great God and Savior of our hope, the image of your goodness, the idea that we can see him, the true seal of revealing in himself you the Father. So the, tr the words that Christ says to Philip, those who beheld me, those who have seen me, have seen the Father become true. He is the living word, the true God, eternal wisdom, life, sanctification, power, and the true light. Okay? These are the activities of the second person of the Trinity. And then we have the Holy Spirit, 
Through Christ, the Holy Spirit was manifested, the spirit of truth, the gift of sonship, the pledge of our future inheritance, the first fruits of eternal blessings, the life-giving power, the source of sanctification, through whom every rational and spiritual creature is made capable of worshiping you and giving you eternal glorification, for all things are subject to you. And notice how he sort of brings that together and makes them all one. You have the activities of the Holy Spirit, and then we worship you, the Holy Trinity. So there's one and three, the ineffability of God and the tangibility of God, the essence of God and the energies of God. And Gregory Palamas is a recent example, 14th century, of someone who defends this orthodox idea that both of these experiences of the church are true in their fullness. During his lifetime, there was a movement within the academy, within the intelligentsia of the 14th century that was trying to denounce hesychism, a monastic practice. And they were trying to argue that one can only truly experience God intellectually. Those who were learned and studied were the only ones who could really understand and experience God. Therefore, they were denying that tangibility, incarnational aspect of God. They were trying to uh, argue that the that intellectual idea of God, the apophatic meditation upon God, was the only real way of experiencing him, and that that tangible experience of God really didn't exist, wasn't important, shouldn't be pursued. And of course, Gregory Palamas said, no, of course this experience is true. In fact, if we don't have that experience, how then do we get to the body and blood of Christ? Because the Holy Spirit, the energies of the Holy Spirit descend upon us and upon these gifts. The activity of the Holy Spirit is to give us communion, to make it possible for us to partake of the very divine nature of Christ. If we limit God to merely an intellectual idea, then the whole purpose of the liturgy falls away and becomes meaningless. And if we say that we can only understand God intellectually, then we are making it impossible for entire swaths of humanity to become the children of God. Babes, toddlers who are still learning and developing their brain, we're saying that they can't experience God. They're beyond the reach of God. Those who are elderly and start to have dementia, Alzheimer's disease, those who have accidents and have large portions of their brain damaged, they were Christian, active in the church, but because of this disease or this accident, are they no longer able to access God? And of course, the answer is that's ridiculous. How could we as human beings ever dare to put boundaries on what God can and cannot do? And so therefore, Gregory Palamas, just as 
fathers of the church and members of the church from generation to generation to generation argue that no, both of these experiences of God are true. There is this ineffability about God, but then there's the incarnation of God, and both exist at the same time. And what that means for us is that we can experience God with our whole selves. There's not a part of our human nature that cannot experience God. We can think and meditate upon Him, use our God-given reason to wrestle with who He is and wrestle with that ineffability and unknowability and invisibility. But we also get to partake of Him, taste Him, feel Him, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That doesn't require any intellectual rigors at all. It just means showing up and believing, or maybe not even believing, just having the faith that what I am doing, that my father and mother are having me do, is true. And thus, when we argue for this orthodox view that God is both, we are really arguing for all of humanity. We are arguing for the value of every aspect of what it means to be human. That there is no part of the human life, from the moment of conception to the moment of death, no matter what experience it may be, that is beyond the reach of God, His love, His sanctification, His mercy, His forgiveness, and above all, His resurrection. We are arguing that every single person in history has value in the eyes of God. Because if you diminish or get rid of either experience of God, necessarily you exclude large portions of human beings. As I demonstrated earlier with what Barlong and his intelligentsia tried to do with the faith. And that's when we demand orthodoxy, we also demand that every single human being has value because the experience of the church is that God has done all of these things and is who he is because he values every single human being. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and forever into the ages of ages. Amen.